Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Off the Beaten Podcast. I am Dion, your host. And so let, let's get down to it. Um, I will not make this a habit. However, this week, I'm the only person that you will hear. Here's why. So if you're listening to this early, um, we now know that tomorrow, which so today is Wednesday, 1016. I'll be hopefully releasing this tomorrow morning. So if you're listening to this, we now know that CPS schools are not in session today. We don't know how long the strike will be, but we know that there is a strike uh, before the strike was even announced. CPS announced that there would be no school tomorrow. They preempted the move of the Chicago Teachers Union. And then the union responded with their vote that, yes, there would be a strike. It was recommended. I guess it was voted upon by the body of the, the, the you know, the organization and so on and so forth. So. I thought as a show that at least up to this point has been about Chicago people and Chicago shit that it would be remiss if I did not talk about this strike. Now, originally, I wanted uh, a current teacher to be on here or something or a parent. And then I thought, you know what, that's not fair and that, you know, this is it's hard to know what's going on. There's a lot of emotions. And, you know, I certainly don't want someone to put themselves in a uh, awkward situation you know, either they say something that later they regret or, you know, now, you know, someone hears this and go, did you hear this person said this? And, you know, all those different things that can happen in such a politically charged climate that can surround something like a strike. But I, for those of you who don't know, I am a former teacher. I taught for two years in Alaska and I taught for two years in Chicago in Chicago public schools, I taught in a school on the south side of the city. I taught more specifically at Richards Career Academy. When I started in CPS in 2012, uh, at the time, CPS had what they called year-round school. So was, Richards was a year-round school. Um, I know, and at that time, uh, I'm trying to think. We went to work for somewhere between like two, three, four weeks, something like that, you know, and then we went on strike. I was new to the district. I'm born and raised in Chicago, but I've been spending the last two years teaching Alaska. I get to town. I'm like, I'm so excited. I got this job now where I want to be in CPS. I'm so excited. Oh my God. And strike. And I was like, holy shit. I haven't gotten a paycheck yet. Oh my God. Am I ever going to get paid? Uh -uh. Um, I got a partial check in, I remember in August getting a partial check and I got a full check somewhere towards the end of September. That's how long it took because twice, because in, in CPS, there's a thing called onboarding. It's super, I have to do it again as a community partner, but doing it as like a teacher, it was horrible. It took forever. I probably shouldn't even like, it's like, you're not supposed to teach unless you've been onboarded. I was in the building teaching, even though I hadn't been successfully onboarded yet. Like this email, like, oh, you can go to work tomorrow. And I'm like, yo, I've been to work for like three weeks. You know what I'm saying? But because of that, I didn't get paid forever. And when I finally got paid post strike and with the strike, it just kind of extended things out. It was horrible. Um, You know, I remember a, a teacher friend of mine whom joining the, the, the district had gotten a, a new apartment and she literally said to her 
landlord, like, you know, I just got this brand new job in CPS. I'm a teacher. Here's the pay stub. You know, well, not the pay stub, but here's the paperwork and everything. I will pay you the first month's rent, my first paycheck. Strike hits. And now she's going to her landlord like, we're on strike. I don't know when I'm going to get paid. <laughs> but when I get paid, you'll be the first person I pay, you know, and it was, it's ridiculous. And I came here from Alaska literally with two bags of clothes. So I taught in Alaska. I would come back summers. So I came back that summer to, and I would come back to do jujitsu. I've done Brazilian jujitsu since 2009 and living out in Alaska, I had little access to Brazilian jujitsu. Uh, uh, there are schools up there. If anybody up there should hear this huge shout out to, uh, Anchorage BJJ, uh, both in Anchorage as well as in Wasilla. They were always very welcoming to me. They took me in a uh, shout out to Gracie Baja up there in Alaska. If that's still there, they were extremely welcoming uh, to me. And then Frostbite BJJ, which I believe was in Fairbanks, they were extremely welcoming. Talkeetna Martial Arts, uh, the guy up there was extremely, they, everyone up there was super nice, you know, being a you know kid from Chicago, black in Alaska, but everyone was super nice, super sweet, super welcoming. One of my best memories um, in Alaska, because I was, I was a wrestling coach for a year up there and uh, going to Talkeetna, this town in Alaska for a wrestling meet. And finding out that there was a there was BJJ there. And someone said, you know, there's a guy there who teaches Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Hit him up. You know, so I call. I literally get his number, find his number. I call him. I say, hey, I'm going to be up there for the weekend. You know, um, I'd love to do some training. And he is like, well, you know, we normally don't train on the weekends. He's like, when are you going to be here? I'm like, well, I'm up there for the wrestling thing. I'll be available from this time to this time and this time to this time. He's like, yeah, yeah, not a big deal. He said, you know what? I'll round up some guys, show up. And we'll, you know, we'll train. And sure enough, this guy had built an addition onto it at the time. And since then, I know he had moved into a real academy, a real, you know, storefront academy. But at the time he had a, a addition built into his house. That was a training room. It, it was a room probably big enough for like eight people to train, you know, at most. But uh, it had a wood burning stove in the corner. Um, he had this daughter who was just a beautiful young lady with this like kind of super wild hair, just so beautiful. And she would just sit there on the edge of the mat and watch. And I'm like, she's going to be a killer someday, you know. And he rounded up like uh, two, was it two other guys and we trained for like, you know, three, four hours or something like that in this little room. And afterwards. He's like, hey, can you stay for dinner? And I'm like, you know, yeah, you know, because my my kids are at the at the I think at that time we might stay at a hotel, you know, so my kids are at the hotel, you know, and I'm like, I was like, look, you guys do the right thing for just a, I, I got to get, you know, I got to get some jujitsu in, just do the right fucking, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Do, do the right thing. I, they might even been at the housing. The housing site might have even been at the school. I, I, I don't even remember. But I'm like, just do the right thing for two hours. I'll be back. And he's like, can you stay for dinner? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And literally, he like, it was a big curtain on one end of the room. And he opens the curtain. And there's a window to his kitchen. His wife, while we were training, was making pizza. And so she literally was like, oh, you guys ready? And she has these huge pizzas. Homemade. I remember they had like cashews and asparagus and like this white sauce it was amazing like these super healthy pizzas and and he literally pulled out this huge rug rolled it out on the mat and we sat on the mat he he gave me like a uh I, I, like some kind of drink you know okay it was something like some juice or something he was like here you know bottle of juice and this pizza and we sat there and ate and it was amazing i'm like these dudes are the best and um you know it was just a great experience one of my most pleasant um memories from alaska so 
I would come back in the summer to train. When I came back that summer of two, 2012, I literally came with a duffel bag that had like two, three gis in it. Gi is what you wear for jujitsu. Um, and one, uh, like some shorts, t-shirts and one pair of dress pants, one dress shirt, one tie and a pair of dress shoes. In the event that I got a job interview, right? Because I was already on that tangent of thinking I, I want to come back to Chicago. It's, it's, you know, being single in Alaska is bullshit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it up there. I love the people up there. I still have many friends up there. Being single as an outsider into Alaska is bullshit. I dated like the three single women in town. That was bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Just, just didn't click. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm, uh, you know, freaking out. <laughs> oh my God. I'm in the woods in the dark and I go by myself, you know? And so got home, ended up getting an, a job interview with a, a woman. The principal at the time was this lovely lady named Mary Dolan. And she interviewed me and did the interview. It was like, my friend was like, hey, this position came up. Someone I knew. And she was like, you know, you should apply. Call over there, send your resume, yada, yada, everything. You know, so I did. I got the job interview, did the interview. And um, I didn't get the job. Miss Dolan, um, Mary, lovely lady. She, we're friends on Facebook today. She's, you know, she gave me my first job, real, real job, you know, and I, I totally appreciate her, respect her, will never have anything but positive things to say about her. And, but she called me, she said, you didn't get the job. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, okay. So I remember, I think it was the next day, I was literally on my computer because I actually was staying in an apartment in New Center here in the city. I had a roommate named Danielle, lovely lady who was a friend of a friend who was willing to take me in as a roommate. And I'm sitting at her kitchen table because she worked days and I'm literally like looking up plane tickets to go back to Alaska. And I get a phone call and I pick up the phone. It's like, hi, you know, Dion, yeah, blah, blah. this is you know, Miss Dolan. I'm like, oh, hey, how she goes. So uh, are you still looking for a job? And I was like, uh, yeah, you didn't give me one. So I guess I am. Right. <laughs> you know, and so she was like, well, a position has popped up and, and just like some funding came through this position popped up. It was only working with freshmen, which was I, in, which in retrospect, I should have said no, because <laughs> I know spending all day working with freshmen as not only as a like a beginning. And I wasn't like my first year, but still like a emerging beginning teacher. And I was good. I was a good teacher. I, I always felt I was a good teacher. I still feel I was a good teacher. I've had many people tell me I'm a good teacher. You know what I'm saying? Like. So it's not like I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I was competent then. I'm much better now. Um, but she goes, I got this position. It's all freshmen. But I think you'd be great at it because you have a lot of energy and you're, you know, you're just very engaging and blah, 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 which she, you know, she saw in me. And I was like, OK, cool. So I took the job, got the job, called my boss in Alaska. I'm not coming back. No big surprise. Awesome. But all I had was literally one dress shirt, one dress tie, one pair of dress pants, one pair of dress shoes. It's all I own. So we we go to work and I didn't I, and I didn't the place I was living in. I was only there for the summer. And so literally I had to move out because someone else was she had gotten another roommate. Someone else was moving in. And I was like, oh, my God, freaking out. So like literally it was a mix of like couch surfing i went back to live with my mom for a little it was just like a hot mess of things i had to borrow money for clothes i remember going to a friend like i need like you know of all the things in the world i would never ask someone you know it's just not i don't like to borrow i'm to borrow especially money that's not like it's so outside of me and i had to borrow like money to buy clothes to work you know for work all my stuff's up in alaska i didn't bring my car so i had no car it was just everything 
So, you know, but I'm like, I got my first job. I'm making, you know, as I'll talk about later, I'm making big bucks, right? Because Chicago public school teachers make all the fucking money, as I can't record than some people. And, you know, but I'm making um, decent money. Um, I, I think, I'm trying to think. I was making 40, you know, let's, let's talk, let's be real, right? Let's be fucking real. You know, if you want to talk to me, come fucking correct and be fucking real. So I was making 42K in Alaska. And I think I jumped from 42, I want to say maybe to 44, um, my second year there. Came to Chicago, I was making about 52, 53. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was around 52, 53, right? Awesome. And, um... You know, I mean, that's cool. You know, it was more money than I ever made up to that point. I once remember doing a tax return and like having made like $15,000 one year. And I still was like fucking, you know, living on my own, doing my shit, you know, whatever. So jumped to 50 something. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, I got into it. But strike hits a few weeks after we start teaching. So I've borrowed money. I actually still don't have a place. I'm couch surfing. I'm living. I'm literally like, you know. I'm, 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 you know, just floating. You know, people are like, yeah, you can stay on my couch for a couple of days. I'm literally like, great. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? But every day I'm getting up, you know, I'm getting up to go to work with a tie on. <laughs> like, okay, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I was living that life, you know? And so strike hit was really stressful. Um, but the strike came because it was about real issues, you know? And so we were only on strike like two, three days. It was not long. I remember, though, I, I, I firmly remember, you know, because our union delegate at the time, he would come back from the, the meetings because they had meetings every night after they did their negotiating. This, here's what's happening. Here's what you should tell your people, yada, yada. And I remember that last day he came back. So here's the deal. And he, he, he read us everything off his phone, you know, verbatim. Here's here's everything that's been offered. Here's what's on the table. Here's what, you know, everything. He goes, now we have to vote whether we want to end the strike. And I was firmly in the camp of not to end the strike because I was like, you know what? We're not getting enough. We're not getting what we deserve, which now years later, eight years later, you know what I'm saying? It, it's like kind of coming full circle in that like today I heard someone say like, man, I'm sick and tired of these teachers always going on strike every contract. I'm like, you know what? If we stop nickel and diming education and give the teachers what they need, what they deserve, not what they need and deserve, what the students need and deserve, what the schools need and deserve, what the neighborhoods need and deserve, what the city deserves for education, it wouldn't be an issue, right? But we nickel and dime and we'll get to that in a little bit about the specifics, what we're nickel and diming on. And sure, anybody who sits in a classroom for four years is going, man, this is some bullshit. When when contract time comes around, they're like, so what, you know, what, what do you guys think of the current contract? What? They're like, look, this is what we need. And, you know, in a story. And so that's why we're here where we are. But we'll get to that in a minute. So that happened. We got past that time. I only taught in CPS for two years. Um, my end of my second year in two years, I went through one, two, three, technically four principals, but really three, because when the first principal left, the assistant principal became principal for a short period of time, but then he left, then he left or he, you know, he went back to being assistant principal. We had an itinerant principal who was a retired principal. She was amazing. I wish I could remember her name because I would get down on my knees. Even though you can't see me, I would kiss the damn floor. I would blow kiss in the air. I would sing her praises, but she was amazing. I loved her. Uh, she, you know, a good leader can have such an impact in such a short period of time. And she did. And it was one of those things I remember. Um, and I'm sure any teacher I worked with 
that year would, would, would attest to this. Like at the end of the year, like we were asking, and I remember I wasn't the only one was like, Hey, you ever think about coming out of retirement? Like, yeah, <laughs> she was like, no. And I'm like, you know, you know, a couple of good years, we could be level one and things would be great. <laughs> she was like, hell no. I, I remember her and she was a, like a really nice formal lady. But I got to know her because, you know, I was a young teacher and I was, you know, I was trying to do my own thing. And, uh, and I remember one time she pulled me aside. She goes, hell no. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK, because <laughs> it's like really nice, proper lady. Like, so she pulls you aside and gives you a look like, let's talk real for a minute. She's like, hell no. She goes, I'm retired for a reason. And she goes, I'm going back to be retired really soon. And I was like, OK, cool. You know, bet, you know, but she was great. And then we hired a new principal. I'm not going to name names because I don't, you know, I'm not here to trash people. I'm not here to talk bad about people. Um, but I went through a lot of principals in a short period of time. In that time, there was a lot of um, a lot of things. You know, every school deals with a lot of issues. Um, and, and I'll talk about some of those issues. And, and, you know, so at the end of that, my second year, though, I was extremely burnt out. Morale was very low. I remember that very clearly. Um, and I just, it was just, you know, it was one of those things because whether people know it or not, and I've talked about this in, in a previous episode, I, I suffer from clinical depression. Not situation, you know, it, it, it comes to go. I've learned to to deal with it very well. Um, most people who would meet me would never guess I suffer from depression. Um, I went through my entire military career dealing with depression and did it well. Most of the guys that I I was with in the army probably would never, you know, if you asked them, you know, just guild, did he suffer from depression would probably say no, right? But that I've learned to manage it amazingly well, you know, and such. But I still manage it. And um that second year of teaching, it was very hard to manage. And I just remember, you know, just some nights I was like, I don't I don't want to I love what I do. And I love the students, but I don't want to go to work tomorrow because I don't want to deal with this bullshit. You know, whether it was testing or, you know, sometimes coworkers or, you know, situations that just were held awfully bad, you know. And and then I always felt like I was just becoming the worst version of myself, you know. And I didn't feel like I was being very effective in the classroom, not because I didn't have the ability to. I just, you know, wasn't, you know, I, I didn't had I didn't had no juice, you know, I had no juice. Um, I'm no, and in the end, I blame no one but myself. I wasn't taking care of myself well, and you know, in the terms of self care, I wasn't doing uh, the right things as far as as probably reaching out for help. You know, as, as far whether that's therapy or whether that was just like, look, I'm I'm at the end of a the rope. The end of the rope is coming very close. So you know, what I'm saying I let's just figure this out, and you know, internalizing everything. And so towards the end of the year, I was like, you know what, I'm 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 through. You know, I'm just ready to go. And so when I, you know, push came to shove, yada, yada. And, you know, and, and all, and I, then I think I'm pretty certain that my position was cut anyway, you know, cause we, they were going through budget problems as CPS is always going through budget problems, but in reality, CPS shouldn't be going through budget problems. Right. Cause you know what I'm saying? like, you know, and we'll talk about, I'll talk about that in a minute, but yeah. So, you know, um, but it, it took me a long time because I, I remember, I'm gonna say I'm not gonna name my principal. I'm not gonna talk about who he was or you know anything. But when when we had our our final conversation, he offered to help find me another job at a very nice very nice school in the city. He said, you know, I have a buddy who's a principal. He goes and he is hiring a history position right now. 
would you be interested? Right. So that statement alone tells me that he didn't think there was anything wrong with me as a teacher, which there wasn't. I, I know there wasn't. And it took me a long time to realize that because I, I, I just was like, man, I was a I was a shitty teacher. Jesus, you know, and then like, but, you know, and in retrospect, I'm like people would see me in the classroom because my next job believe it or not, was teaching, but not for CPS, not in a, in a, as a role as a school teacher, but as an itinerant teacher working for a nonprofit. And, you know, I would walk into classrooms and I would work with, with students and literally the teachers would be like, fuck, you're good at this. And I'm like, well, thank you. They're like, why aren't you teaching for CPS? I'm like, oh, I taught for CPS last year. <laughs> That'd work out, you know? And they were like, really? Oh shit. Like, you're really good, you know? Uh, truth be told, one of the schools I worked with my first year working for this nonprofit offered me a job. They said, hey, we have a position open. Would you be interested? And I was like, no, nah, man, I just got where I'm at. Yo, you know, what I'm saying CPS didn't seem to like me too much when I was here. Last, you know, what I'm saying? they were like, well, you know, what I'm saying you're really good and we've heard good things about you. The kids talk about you and yada, yada. You'd be great here. And I was like, no, I'm good. But thank you. You know, what I'm saying so. You know, it took me a long time to realize that I'm a great teacher. I, I do what I do and I do it well. You know, I'm not the best, um, but I, I care about kids. I'm passionate about history and kids learning about history. And, and I get in there and I do my do and I do it well. I do it imaginatively, you know. And so that I was I'm proud of that now. But then, you know, I wasn't too sure of that. So I bailed moved on to other things and yada, yada. And all of that, that's a very long, long way of saying that I feel comfortable uh, talking about things from a perspective of a teacher, even though it's been now five years since I've been in the classroom. But um, I mean, what, what, how much has actually changed in five years, right? There's some things happen, you know, I'm sure I'm not aware of all, but I'll, I'll be as honest as I can. Um, so I don't want you to, I don't want, I'm not even going to come off as uh, being impartial in this situation, this strike, because I'm not. Um, I, I've looked at what the union is asking for. I, I don't think any of it is unruly. You know what I'm saying? And if it was, I would say so. Because I, I don't have, I have no kids in CPS. I'm not a member of the union anymore. I don't work with with schools directly uh, in my job. There's a very small percentage of my work direct with schools. I don't work with CPS directly in my position, even though I have coworkers who work directly with CPS. Uh, but my job has nothing to do with this podcast, right? Um, and, and please let me be sure the, the opinions right here are mine and mine alone have nothing to do with anybody I work with or work for or anything. This is me, all me, which is why I don't ever talk about who I actually work for. I, you know, you very rarely, I don't think you've ever heard me say my employer is because that doesn't matter. Right. But I say all that to say, like, I, I'm not impartial in this, but I'm a, but you know, so don't think, oh, he's, I'm not a journalist. I don't have to be, you know what I'm saying? I don't have to be fucking fair and balanced. And I honestly believe that that doesn't mean what, what, you know, it's like, um, it's like the Prince's Bride. I don't think that means what you think that means. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm inconceivable. I do not think this means what you think this means. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know I'm saying fair and balanced is one of those things you hear all the time. That's bullshit. Fair and balanced means that, that, uh, you know, a person who's fighting for justice and a Klansman sit at, 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 on equal footing at the same table. They don't, you know what I'm saying? They don't. I'm sorry to tell you that. So I'm not fair and balanced. I'm not impartial. I have opinions. I'm going to express them. If you disagree, please down in episode notes, whatever you're listening to this on, you'll see an email. Please feel free to email me. Um, 
I'm going to try to get a phone number before too long. I know you can, like, I, I used to, yeah, anyway, I'm going to get a phone number so you can call me and express your opinions. But for now, please just email me. Uh, any emails I get, if they're pertaining to this discussion, I will read them. I will address them. You know, I'll post, you know, whatever. If you want to be anonymous, say anonymous. If you want me to say your name loud and proud, I will. If I disagree with you, we can disagree respectfully. I'm not going to call you names. I'm not going to like, you know, browbeat you down. I'm not going to question your, you know question you as a human, anything like that. But I definitely have opinions about this. And I will say that I'm very, it's hard for me to understand people who who, the criticisms I'm hearing in this situation. And we'll go ahead and talk about that. Right. So, um, Right now, we know there's a strike tomorrow. We also know that the SEIU did receive a, a contract agreement. I, I don't, I mean, I know some people who are SEIU union members. Um, like, you know, congratulations to the SEIU. I'm glad you guys got what you asked for. Um, you, I'm certain you deserve it because generally speaking, work, the people who take care of children in this city deserve. some people disagree deserve everything i'm sorry a teacher should be on the same fucking footing with a with a doctor right a teacher should be on the same fucking footing as a cop or fireman teachers are fucking superheroes if you disagree now that's what you know i'm saying now i might call you a name fuck it right this is my show i'll do what the fuck i want you know what i'm saying so i might call you a name but the reality is that teachers teachers take care of our children all day and the reality is when I was teaching, my students will often spend more time with me than they did with their parents. Right. And it's not like they're just, we're not, you know, we're not tacit bystanders standing near each other, just looking at each other like, Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Oh, great. Right. They're, they're, they're learning from me, not just academics. They're learning, you know, things, perspectives, things about life, especially in my classroom, because I taught social studies, right? And one of the, the, the best things I could do as a social studies teacher, and I always told kids, I'm not going to tell you what to think. My job is to kind of help you to think, right? How should you be looking at this situation? Where are some things to consider? The conclusions you draw are your own. I'm not going to tell you what to believe, right? But how do you get to, to get to those great decisions and beliefs is the question. And if you learn different processes, different things, if you learn history, if you learn cause and effect, you learn like how this affected that, that affected that, and how do we end up where we are today, you can start to, you know, drill all that around in your mind and mix it up and come up with with grand conclusions and grand questions. That's my job, right? So, but the students are learning from me, you know, because because in the end of the day, I've never talked about an issue where the students at the end of the day didn't say, what do you think about that, Mr. McGill? And, and um, one of the biggest disagreements I had, one of my favorite professors when I went to college was uh, a, a gentleman named Dr. Clark. And Dr. Clark, he was he, he was the only uh, black professor in the department and um uh, he, he, he also was, I, I don't think he ever said he hundred percent was, but he, he pretty much was a Republican. I, I felt, I felt like he was, I, I always felt he was, I think I remember asked him like, are you a Republican? He's like, does it matter? I was like, I guess not shit, but you know what I'm saying? But, um, we'd always have these great discussions. And one of the things we, we disagreed about, and I would never forget this because my friend Jeff was standing with me. We were in, it was after social social sciences introduction to social sciences class and we'd had this do it and he said something he goes you know here's something you got to understand 
He goes, you have to be impartial in education. I said, that is the biggest crock I've ever heard. And he goes, well, what do you mean? And, and you have to also have to understand, I was not an 18-year-old when I was going to school for social sciences. I was, um, I was, I'm trying to think, actually, let's try to think that. I was about 29, 30. I was around 30. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't a baby. I I was in the army for years. I'd been around the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't like a little kid who was like, oh, okay. I'm like, look, that's a crock, dog. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, who, who goes in the classroom and teaches impartiality when they're talking about Hitler? Who, when they're talking about history, is impartial when they're talking about this? You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not impartial. Every history teacher would tell you, oh, Hitler was a shitbag. <laughs> say like, oh, this person was a great person. You know what I'm saying? We're not impartial. We won't just say, oh, these are people and here's his list of credentials and you decide what kind of person he was. We're not impartial when we teach history, right? I, now, you know what I'm saying? There are certain things that, you know, my, my students may say, well, I disagree about that, right? Let's take an example, right? The... Um, one of those issues is debated hotly. The 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 leading causes for the Civil War, right? The or the War of Northern Aggression, depending how you look at it, right? Like, why why did that war happen? What were the causes? People disagree. You know, depending. On, I always feel like it's geographic, but you know, people disagree about it. Oh, the you know the Civil War didn't have anything to do about slavery. It was oh, okay, cool, cool. You know what I'm saying? And there are things that are debatable, and I'm not gonna tell you you're right or you're wrong because they are that's good debate and it's debatable. Right. I can say how I feel, my perspective. I can tell you what history, history kind of leans towards this or that. But OK, cool. That's how you feel. That's like because it's not definitive necessarily. Right. Some people like to ignore the facts. Fuck it. I don't know. But it, well, we we disagree about that all the time. So when I'm in my classroom, as soon as I'm like, what do you think about that, Mr. McGill? I'm like, well, my opinion is X, Y and Z. Right. And I give my opinion. And I go, but that's my opinion. And here's why I hold that opinion. So I'm giving them the reasonings behind why I think that way. Right. It might be based on life experience. It might be based on a single experience I had. It might be based on something I heard. It might be based on something my parents told me. My parents always told me. Right. For example, this is a union town. Right. We are a union family. My mother was a member of the of the, of the uh, amalgamated transit union. You know what I'm saying? Like you stand strong. Unions Stand together. The union makes us strong. I've had that belief since I was a small child. I hold that belief today. Now you hear, and now there's like this huge thing. Uh, I feel like it's led by conservatives mostly, but I could be wrong. And it's one of those things I often say because I, because on the on the flip side of this, there are Democrats who talk bad or like, oh, unions this, unions that. I'm like, how are you a fucking Democrat and you don't like unions? Like that, the world has flipped upside down and grown a tail. Like what is going on? You know. But um, to, to me, we live in a union town. Unions are here for the good, right? Because it, without unions, corporations and companies would run roughshod over you, right? You work a five-day work week, eight hours a day because of unions. And so that's how I was raised. That's my perspective. And that's kind of how I, I live life and look at things. And if my you know students were to ask me, what do you think about unions? There's your answer. And here's why I believe that. Done. You know, but your parents may believe different. You might grow up to believe different and that's fine too. Right. But if you try to crush me in my union, we're going to, we're going to steamroll you, right? <laughs> going to steamroll you and take your clothes. But anyway, so that's that. Now I, uh, Ooh, actually it brings up a really funny story. Uh, 
And I don't remember who told me the story, but just, uh, you know, but really, and the guy who told me, I remember it was a guy, but he told me the story. He goes, and this happened to my friend. So blah, blah, blah. His, the, the friend's dad was working in a, either steel mill or car factory or whatever. And everybody was going to go on strike. And the, oh, the, the father and son worked together. That's what it was. And so they were going on strike, you know, oh my God, because obviously you're not getting paid during the strike, yada, yada. So the son had kind of looked at his dad and was like, hey, dad, you know, what if we just go ahead and go into work anyway? And so the guy was like, so the dad swung around, spun around and punched the kid out cold right there in the middle of the store. Bow! <laughs> it's like right in the middle of the grocery store. And he, said, he was like, he looked over and it's like, you tell him when he wakes up, you never cross the picket line. <laughs> dad just walks away and like that you know what i'm saying that's and that that is the sentiment i was raised with you don't cross a fucking picket line you know what i'm saying the union stands strong union to union we stand strong right and as much as i disagree with almost everything the fop says right that's probably the only union in this entire city that i just kind of look at i'm like oh right because i think they they just make every wrong decision every twist and turn but they're there ideally to protect their officers from being roughshod, run over by the city, right? Because if, you know, hey, I want you to work 16 hours a day. Well, that's not right. Do it or you get fired. Oh, okay. (laughs) Like, that's how things work. You know what I'm saying? When you don't have unions there to protect you or some kind of sense of collective bargaining. So anyway, all right. So beyond that, Monday, was it Monday? No, what's today? Today is Wednesday. So Monday, I actually went to the teacher's rally Chicago Teachers Union had a rally. It was at Chicago Temple. It was amazing and fabulous. Um, I wish, I wish there were audio available. So, okay, full, full, full disclosure. I have audio of the entire rally. I, I don't, I don't think it would be in full integrity to to use any of that audio or play it because I. It was in a public venue, technically, but it was indoors. It was a private event, even though it was open to the public. And so I just didn't think it would be appropriate to use any of that audio because, you know, I wouldn't want to put somebody's thoughts, feelings, words out in public and they intend for the public to hear them, which is possible. Um, I will recount some of the things I heard because they were amazing. Um, I heard teachers speak. I heard uh, at the time park district employees speak. Uh, there was a mother there who her her brother it was a sister a woman whose brother went attended to park district uh for special services uh for you know for uh um uh for for having um some challenges and being a, a, a diverse la- learner and so he goes to the park district and you know he was saying how like and she was saying i'm sorry i'm, I'm just like my brain is uh, everywhere. Uh, she was saying how just how great the services at the park district were day in and day out. Um, the gentleman who specifically works for her brother say, you know, he's like a, a member of their family. He goes out of his way to always be there to, to provide, to serve, you know, just to, to do everything that park district workers, much like teachers do. And she was like, and he deserves what what they're asking for right he deserves to have a and something that came up several times at this rally was the 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 ideas of a living wage now um let me go ahead and insert this here because i i thought i've thought about this a lot and this is one of those things I, i had a discussion with someone last night about this the underlying uh causes right we always we always talk about root causes 
um, in public health and violence prevention and such. And one of the underlying causes of the knee of the teacher striking and the, the park district striking. And, uh, at, at one point, Governor State University, I don't know if they're still going on strike or planning to, but they were going to strike, right? Uh, all of this is related, especially here in Chicago. I can't talk about where Governor State is per se. I don't live out there, but. Um, the reality of Chicago actually was interviewed by a UIC student last night, actually. And that's where we were talking about this very heavily because the uh, interview, which went on for two hours and 50 minutes. And part of that was because I, I talk a lot. But <laughs> we uh, I was being interviewed about economic security and one of the overwhelming things. And she said, you know, a lot of people that I've interviewed have have expressed similar viewpoints and uh, some of those were people who didn't even live in like who didn't live in my neighborhood who lived in neighborhoods nicer than mine and some of them who didn't even necessarily live in the city but this is like a going theme is the cost of living especially here in chicago is 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 out of control completely out of control and i feel like the city is only uh propagating it um everywhere you go in the city there's construction Right. Every you can go to almost every neighborhood in the city. Something's being built except for Austin, <laughs> maybe with that exception. Um, and I and I say that to say that, like how I, I, I say that to point out how how much the city neglects the west side of the city. And I, I see that every time I go over there, I'm like, man, they're building everywhere else. Honestly, should be in built here. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's one of those things I think every time I head west and it's sad, it's disgusting. Um, I want to believe that it's going to change under the new administration. But hey, if it has already, my apologies for insinuating that it hadn't. But it, please, anybody who's listening, if that has changed, if you're seeing construction and things being built over on the west end, west side of the city, please let me know. And I would love to go see it, support it, send me pictures, and I will acknowledge it. But everywhere you go, things are being built and they're not like, you know, being built like, oh, you're building buildings and oh, cool people. No, they're like, you know, studio apartments starting at 15, 1600. Who's going to pay 1500 for a studio? Oh, my God. It's disgusting. You know, I, I made reference last night in, our dis- in the discussion I was having with the student. I, just, I don't want to say her name just because I don't know if she wants her name out in public. You know what I'm saying? But she's a lovely young lady. It was a pleasure to tra- chat with her. Um, but. You know, I, I made reference. I said, you know, they when they built those two high rises, these two like big, huge apartment buildings in Logan Square. I said, you know, I remember kind of looking into that and like, because I like Logan Square. And I'm like, you know, what? I've never lived over that way. That'd be kind of cool. And they were like, yeah, studio apartments for fifteen hundred. And I'm like, yo, um, hmm. OK, I'm sorry. I thought. <laughs> I, I thought the recording had stopped. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> but no, it's still recording. Okay. Anyway, so I'm like, yo, studio apartments for 1500 Who's paying for that? And if I could afford it, which I can't, I wouldn't pay it. You know, and, and then me and her had this, this nice discussion. I said, you know, I'm probably one of those rare people who who say who who put it like this. I mean, maybe other people. I'm like, to me, it's a it's a set of it becomes an issue of principles. I will not pay fifteen hundred for a studio apartment in this city because I know it's not worth it. It's just not, 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 and especially not the size, right? You look at the square footage, and you're like, whoa, um, that's like, mm, 
<laughs> like uh, that's like the size of you know it's, it's it's a legit studio it's not like a huge place and i'm not paying 1500 like i have principals you know and she was saying that uh as a uic student she lived on campus now she lives off campus and she was saying that the apartment she lives in you know they're at, at, with roommates they're paying like almost a total of uh, I think it was 2300 and they were kind of like, oh, you know, can we make it 2000 even? And then the landlord was like, you know what? There are people who will pay 26 and 27 for this. And they were like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, people from out of town who don't know no damn better. You know what I'm saying? And, and I hate, I don't want to sling mud. I don't want to, but the reality is this, right? You have these cats who move into Chicago working for companies like Google. They're getting paid money hand over fist. And they're like, oh, 2600 for this, you know, apartment in Little Village. Mm, okay, cool. That's great. And it's like, well, it's not worth that, dog. You know what I'm saying? And you'll pay it. But one, you know, people living here now can't pay that. So now they get priced out, which happens. And then we, you know, and, and that's how gentrification starts here in Chicago. I can only speak about Chicago because I live here and so on and so forth. And it's not right. And, you know, and you go from there. So it's it's just one of those things talking about economic security. It's a hot mess. And people who work with children deserve that. And, you know, we talk about how much Chicago teachers and the partnership people are getting paid or not getting paid, whatever they should have. They should receive a livable wage. Right. And so when we're talking about pay, you know, keep that in mind. And if you're a starting teacher, especially right, you probably need a little extra <laughs> reality, like rather than getting paid more as you progress through this through CPS, you know what I'm saying? You need a little extra on top at the beginning, you know, just because you're starting out and, you know, you're dealing with all the things and. Not to mention what you deal with inside of the classroom, you know, which is the most important thing about education. But you're dealing with, you know, and I sat through a, a hearing today, uh, a hearing of uh, of the Illinois, um, Illinois House. And it was a it was a, a committee. It was about violence. I'm, I'm, I'm like pre brain dead at this juncture. It's been a long day, uh, but it was four and a half hours. <laughs> and one thing that came up constantly was trauma. You know what I'm saying? And this is if if you don't understand like things like adverse childhood experiences and trauma and vicarious trauma, you know, do some reading. I don't mean that like to be like, you know, um in a condescending fact. Like literally do some reading to understand like if you're a teacher who's teaching students who live in a neighborhood where they have witnessed uh someone getting shot that resulted in a death. Or the someone who's getting shot, they, they didn't result in a death. Or they, you know, witness dead bodies. Or they hear, you know, shootings, hear bullets and gunshots at all times of the day and or night. You know, I've had students who say they sleep under their bed. Um, me personally, like, this is not secondhand stories. I've had students who told me, like, oh, I sleep under the bed when they start shooting. You know what I'm saying? Because it's safer. And I'm like, well, like, like, you literally climb under the bed? And they're like, yeah, man. You know, and I'm like, fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like. Uh, you know, th that is all a variation of trauma and that was trauma. That trauma can can show itself in so many different ways. But, it, you know, it's it's tough. And then you're dealing with economic hardships and family, you know, just regular family hardships, you know, but but that aren't able to either be addressed, aren't addressed correctly or, you know, and such. And the students come into the classroom with so much on their heads and shoulders and you have students I, I remember having students and i'll be like i don't quite understand why this kid comes to school 
every day. Like, you know, I'm just like, but, you know, they would come because it's a warm place to be. And they would come because there's food. And I mean that in the most literal sense. Like, this kid comes every day because, man, he's getting food. And it's warm. You know, and the kid like, yo, at home, it's cold. You know what I'm saying? The heat ain't, the heat ain't on right now. Or, you know what I'm saying? The, the electricity ain't on right now. And I, I had students who were homeless. And all of these different things you deal with. And, you know, and as a teacher, God forbid, you got 40 students in a classroom, all from the, you know, from the same geographic area, all dealing with similar issues, not all the same issues. And some students have a lot, you know, have the issues, situations that are fabulous. You know, they're like, oh, this is great. You know what I'm saying? But like, if you've got 10 kids in a room that just need love and attention as a teacher, that's, that's tough. You know what I'm saying? It's just tough. Now, if you have 15 or 20 students, in a classroom, you know, because a, a child who has dealt with trauma needs a lot of things, but a lot of it, they, you know, some of it is just they need attention. And, you know, um, something, and I'll, I'll throw a huge shout out to a teacher that I, I, a principal now that I admire, and I'm, I'm reading his book currently, and I, I, I follow his Twitter incessantly, and I'm just, you know, he, he's amazing to me, is, uh, um, I, I I always pronounce pronounce his name wrong, but Hamish or, or Hamish Brewer, Hamish Brewer, uh, he's a principal, and um, I'm reading his book, and just some of the concepts in there are just great things. He's like, you know, I tell my kids, I tell my students, every student, and, and it's funny because he talks about like, yeah, it's weird, and people look at me like, well, you you actually do that? Like he goes, but I tell all my students, I love them. You know, and he, I see, I say every day, like, you know, I, I do the announcements, and I say, hey, if no one told you today that they love you, you know, Principal Brewer loves you. And he, you know, he goes and he goes, whenever kids do good things or kids are leaving for a day, I'm like, I love you. You know what I'm saying? And like in CPS, you, you quite possibly get fired for that for all I know. <laughs> but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what the kids need. A lot of the students, you know what I'm saying? They need some of them haven't heard in today, yesterday, this week, and someone loves them. You know what I'm saying? And and I will say as a teacher, one of my failings as an, as a beginning teacher was not recognizing enough Right. Because talks of out of adverse childhood experiences and trauma were new, were just emerging as discussions, uh, at least in the Chicago educational areas. At least I, I was only hearing them for the first time. And I don't that was not something I ever heard in a classroom when I was getting my degree. You know what I'm saying? But like I wish I had kind of like been able to recognize those things more and know that some of the students just, man, this kid probably needs more than anything else. This kid needs a hug. You know what I'm saying? And like just been like, yo. You know what I'm saying? I'm a man. Just it's cool. You know, um, you know, hope you have a good day. You know what I'm saying? If there's nobody at home to tell you they love you. You know, Miss McGill. Well, no, nah, Miss McGill. Just, you know, I'm throwing your head now. Nah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? I can still got to be me. You know, Miss McGill throwing you a head now, nah, dog. But you know what I'm saying? I care about you. I hope to see. And I will often tell my students, I hope to see you tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Be safe. I always tell my students, be safe, which is sad. You have to tell them that, but be safe. I'll see you tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, cool. Especially students who didn't want to come, you know. You going to come tomorrow? Ugh, man, I'll I see you tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Come come tomorrow. You come, I'll come. Let's do it. And, you know, and you, you wanted to um, be there for them. And I wish I'd recognized uh, more and uh, better ways to do that and, and to do that more and be more free with that, you know. Because, yeah, yeah, it, 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 I'm, I'm not going to get emotional, so, so screw y'all. So anyway, um, but you're dealing with a lot in the classroom. 
And I was and and at the rally, I know it's just I'm rambling. It's cool. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, at the at the rally, uh, Randy Weingarten spoke. Um, I'm not even sure what her her official position is. Actually, let me bring it up real quick. Now, like very weird right now. I actually have a computer in front of me that's fully functional because the computer I record on ain't ain't shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Randy Weingarten is the uh, president of the American Federation of Teachers. So she spoke at the rally, extremely powerful speaker. I hope the audio is somewhere. Uh, I would tell you to Google her. She's amazing. Um, I, I mean, I've read, I've read articles by her. I've read of her. I've, you know, eh, you know, uh, I'm sorry. She's the former president of the United Federation of Teachers. Um, and, uh, oh, and she might, is she the current president of the, um, yeah, it looks like she's the president of the FT. I could be wrong. I don't know. You know, and Google, Google leads you straight in a hot second. But, but anyway, any, any case, she was amazing. Um, she was powerful, a powerful as a speaker and everyone was fired up. And, you know, she spoke about what teachers deserve, what students deserve, what schools deserve, what the city deserve, whether they know it or not, what the city deserves and, you know, be ready to go out there and get it. And it was extremely great and powerful. However, I will say this, the speaker that stole the day at this rally, I'm sorry, I'm stuffy. I think um, I think I'm, I got uh, allergies kicking in um, was Senator Nina Turner. Um, I'm, I'm actually bringing her up on my computer right now because I'm not exactly sure uh, what state exactly she's from. Ohio. I do apologize for that. So Nina Turner is a. Uh, um, is she a senator? Okay, I could be wrong. Um, see, man. Ish, this is a hot mess. Uh, okay, she was Ohio's a former senator, right? Uh, from 2008 to 2014. I know she is the now, right now, the national co-chair for the uh, Bernie Sanders presidential campaign, and that's how she, uh, yeah, she, that's how she announced herself. So on and so forth. Um, I don't know how old she is. Oh, okay. I do know how she is. She's 51. Not that that matters. I, I'm sorry. I'm talking people's age, throwing people's ages out there. But I, I, I was, cause I thought she, she, I thought she was younger than what she is. Um, she looks a lot younger, but she got up there and I'll never forget. She, it was so great. She came up, she had her phone with it. She goes, look, I've got about 60 seconds of prepared comments. Let me get through those first. She goes, cause sometimes I can get a little extemporaneous. She goes, then I'll, I'll start going off the head. So let me <laughs> go. So she go, boom, boom, boom. And so she drops the comments, you know, um, and she doesn't call him Bernie Sanders. She calls him Bernard Sanders. So she goes, you know, uh, president, you know, Senator Bernard Sanders, you know, and it was, it was just so, she was so smooth. She was uh, a beautiful lady. She was up there. She had on a, a, a red leather trench coat. And she got up there and she's, you know, so she drops her comments from Bernard Sanders. <laughs> and she, you know, and he supports, you know, he supports unions. He supports, uh, you know, your, your, your uh, fight right now is a fight. You know, that's how we, that's how I've always heard, heard it referred to. And that's how I refer to it as a fight, um, for, for, you know, for, for more, you know, for, for what's right, you know, however you want to look at it, you know, I'm, I'm all right. And so she, she said, you know, blah, blah, blah. So then she goes, okay. And she started walking off the stage. She go, Oh, wait, 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 let me get my phone. So she got a phone. She goes, excuse me. 
She goes, but I have to deposit in the Southern Woman's Bank and Trust. And she did stuck her phone in her bra. And I was like, oh, hell no. And, yo, and from that moment on, she had the room in the palm of her hand. And she went and she talked. It was just amazing. Amazing. She quoted Frederick Douglass. She, you know, she talked about, she go, one statement she made that was very direct that I remember. She go, everybody deserves a union. And I was like, ooh, yes. She talked about Bernie uh, wanting to dismantle a system that simply does not work, which I, I do agree with. Um, I don't know if I... I don't know if Bernie Sanders is my pick for for this presidential race, but I do agree with with his sentiment that the system as it exists right now in so many ways and so many facets do not work. And so she and, and people, it was so great because I was up in the balcony, but people was on fire and she set the room on fire. And then she said, um, well, she said, I, I wish I, I wish I could, I, you know, I listen to the audio and just kind of just say it verbatim. But she was like, you know what? She goes, my grandmother who could not read or write, but could count her money, knew what she was <laughs> saying that she was not getting what she deserved when she wasn't getting it. And, you know, and it was just so great. And the room was on fire. And then at the end, she said, and I asked my grandmother, well, you know, what do you need for success and change? She said, my dear granddaughter, you need the three bones, a wishbone, a jawbone and a backbone. And, I was, and when she said that the room was on their feet, they was like, yes. And she said, you know, she was like, so you got and she said the, the wishbone, you know, the hope for the best, yada, yada, that jawbone to have the courage to speak up for what you deserve when you know you're not getting it. And then that backbone to stand you know to stand tall against the you know against the fire yada 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 you all go out there and get what you deserve what the city deserve what your kids deserve blah 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 blah, yada yada and when she was done the room was on their feet standing ovation and people started putting their hats in because there was a march after the rally so she ends the room is on their feet they start putting their hand you know their hats and gloves on because everybody like okay fine we ready to march then there was one more speaker <laughs> and i and if no one had never heard, you know, I guess maybe they had never heard her speak or they just didn't know, you know, how dynamic of a speaker she is and so on and so forth. But then the, the speaker after her and I don't, I kind of don't even want to say who it was because, you know, it can like you diminish how good of a speaker they are. But they were like, OK, and, and they acknowledged, like, I think it was a little bit wrong. You, you put me after <laughs> the Neo of the social justice matrix in her red matrix trench coat. <laughs> And everybody was like, you know what I'm saying? But like, she set the room on fire. It was amazing. Um, I hope that there's audio of that online. If I find something, I'll totally post it. Um, but like I said, I don't feel comfortable posting the audio that I recorded just because um, I didn't ask permission to record it. I'm glad I have it because just for my own personal, I've listened to her, her speech probably four or five times already. You know what I'm saying? I've listened to Randy Weingarten's speech two or three times. I will not share those, you know, publicly without permission, but they are amazing. I'm glad I was there. I wasn't going to go. I just happened to still be downtown. I hadn't made it home yet. So I was like, you know what? I'm still downtown. I'm already here. I'm going to go to this rally. And I'm, I felt blessed to be there and I felt good to be there supporting Chicago public school teachers. And I was so blessed to hear all the amazing speakers. Two students spoke. Now, if you've never heard a student, a CPS student talk about what they deserve and what they get versus what they think they should get and what they feel like they're not getting as a CPS student. And and just to go ahead, like, cause I know there are tons of, of, of critics out there. Uh, you know, the, the students talked about 
the teachers, you know, having good teachers, teachers who care about, right? Because a student who's talking at a Chicago teachers rally is probably has good teachers, you know what I'm saying? Teachers in their corner, teachers supporting them when they want to go out of their way, like, man, I want to let people know that, you know, you're great and you deserve more. You know what I'm saying? And and, and that's great. And that's fabulous. And, I, and not all students feel that way, I'm sure, you know, but um, a big issue that the students talked about especially was a need for these support services so that that's a great segue into like just real quickly talking about what the issues are in the in this contract dispute um because everyone everyone's talking about the money and 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 i've talked to teachers in the last couple days one-on-one it's not and i remember even when we were going on strike in 2012 it's not about the money. Now, 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 yes, money is an issue. The city, Chicago as a city, is far too expensive. If you're not making a living wage, how can you be expected to do your best in whatever job you have and whatever chosen profession, right? So you are, and, and then you have a very hard job, a very stressful job. Uh, t- most teachers I know work tons of overtime, right? If you, because teachers don't just work. 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. All right. Or or 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. or whatever the, the case may be. Right. Because you usually get there at least an hour early. I always got there an hour and a half early. Right. And then once school is over, you got to remember, like the tests that are being taken are created by teachers. Um, if there's an activity going on, I have to devise it. Usually have to create it. Even if I have to just research it and find it online, then uh, if you're using PowerPoints or some kind of visual, because today's youth are extremely visual. Right. The, the better the visual, the more engaging it is, the brighter it is, all those things. Like I I make PowerPoints here at work and my coworkers kind of like they, they like them and they kind of tease me at the same time because like I might have a background on, on a you know, and I work in a corporate a corporate environment. And like, you know, you have a PowerPoint, <coughs> excuse me, and everyone expects like, you know, like gray background and, and, you know, whatever. And my PowerPoints are like a yellow wall with a banana, you know, yellow wall with an orange in the corner. And they're like, you know, like a, a photo. And they're like, that is so bright. Like, oh my God. I'm like, you know, to me, I, I made PowerPoints for kids for years, right? And if the PowerPoints look something like this, kids ain't looking at it. They don't give a shit, right? Because if it's gray and, bl- and dark blue and with just writing, they, they, it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? They're looking at the floor or they're trying to look at their phone or they're picking their nose or they're trying to, they're looking at, if a student looks at what he pulled out his ear more readily than he looks at what you're presenting on the board in front of the class, you have failed, right? So, you know what I'm saying? And you have to go and, you know, everything needs to pop, pop, pop. So movies, music, all these things. And then you want to keep an upbeat atmosphere or you want to keep it passionate. You want to keep it moving. And like, so... You know, so I still, I still, I, I, it's hard to shake that. So I still do that in this corporate environment. And so they're just like, what is the fuck is this? But, but it's, it's, it's not about, so the money is good, but it's not about just the money. You know what I'm saying? So some of the other things, class size, a very quick story. One of the first classes I taught when I, I got my job in CPS, um, I taught a college career readiness class, basically. And I'll never forget, like the first day of the class, um, I had it was a classroom with computers, which was a which great and a godsend and and like hell on earth all at the same time for for a variety of reasons. But I remember there was it was between thirty six and thirty eight computers in the class. It was a huge room, and uh, that first class there was about forty two kids in the room, forty two to forty four, somewhere around there. 
And I remember because there was no chairs. Like there was the exact number of chairs for the exact number of computers, exact number of desks. And the kids who didn't have a chair were just like leaning up against the wall, like along the windows. And I was like, oh, sh-, you know, like, oh, shit. And these are freshmen, 14 year olds. And they're just, ah, you know, they, they look, you know, just for the, if you don't get them that first five seconds, you're like, oh, God. It's like, you know, it's like a lion. Like, I got to let them know I'm boss. Right. <laughs> you rip my face off. So you're like, OK. And I remember like hitting the button you know, to call down to the office. And they were like, you know, yes, Mr. McGill. And I said, yo, could you ask? And at the time, the programmer was this lovely name, lady named Miss Robinson. I said, could you send Miss Robinson up to my room, please? And they were like, is there a problem? I said, yes, but only she can deal with it. So just go ahead and send her up, right? You know, and so a couple minutes later, Miss Robinson walks in and the first word in her mouth are, oh dear. I go, so you already recognize the problem? She goes, oh yeah. <laughs> so she was like, and then she goes, you, you know, you four over there, come with me and so like see you guys sorry sorry you didn't make the cut you know what i'm saying get the fuck out you know nah, i ain't say that obviously but you know i'm like hey sorry guys you guys obviously you gotta go somewhere else i'm sorry and you know and it was it, that was it but 42 kids in the classroom even freshmen is crazy i can't imagine having uh, 38 kindergartners you know i i was listening to the press conferences today 30 35 kindergartners i can't imagine like that would make my head spin uh, Oh, just thinking about it. Um, and I've had many conversations about this. My ideal class I've ever had was not here in Chicago, but I had 25 students. That was an ideal class size, I feel like. You know, if you get above, if you get above 35, I feel like for every head, you know, it, it, it's, it's so weird to, to kind of to, to kind of pull out. But it's like when you have like 40 kids in a, in a room, very little teaching as a result starts to happen. Even if you have and I had very decent, very I thought it were good. They were decent. You know what I'm saying? Class management skills. Um, but just having that many bodies in a room and they're young and, you know, the smallest thing, one kid farts in a room before the 40 kids and it turns into like a damn tornado you know like oh my god he farted i'm like you fart don't you like what's wrong with you cover your nose it's fine you know what i'm saying like but it's it just things like that and it you know every and in a classroom especially with that many children it, it, every second is precious because you because you you you're trying to get because beyond just trying to get you know information from point a to point b or get directions from point a to point b right then we have, because you, you will find this right, in classrooms, uh, students who have, whether they are diverse learners, right? So they need some kind of differentiation. Um, I had a, a student, my second year teaching, first day of class, first day in the school, he, he spoke Mandarin. He wrote and read Mandarin. And he could say probably four sentences in English. And I was like... And he, you know, he walked in, he said, hello, my name is, and gave me his name. And I was like, oh, okay. And beyond that, um, his English was very challenged. And I also had students who were um, Latinx students and their English is, they're learning English, right? So they're not native, they're not, uh, not, uh, you know, native English speakers. You know what I'm saying? They're, They're learning English as a second language. Uh, or ESL learners. And like, you're like, okay, cool. So if you had, and I had, this did happen to me, two students. Uh, so one who, who speaks, reads, writes Mandarin. And one who who can very well speak, read, and write Spanish. But his English is, is 
very minimal, and they're in the exact same classroom. And then I've got another 36 kids. <laughs> and so, and like, you know, and then you have variances of reading level. You have variances of just uh, confidence and, and, and comfortability in a classroom environment. Plus, you know, those students who, who may have a teacher aide or who are supposed to have a teacher aide but don't have one, you know, because they have some, you know, they might have issues with just uh, attention span or they might have issues with just sitting still, you know, for whatever reasons or, you know, all the different things you can get. So you got this mix of 36, 38 kids. And you're just like, okay. so now that I've kind of gotten information from point A to point B, did you all understand it? You know, and then half of them are going to say no, even if they didn't, just because, you know, that they're young kid, 14 year olds. They don't want to stick out. And they're like, so you see those looks on their faces like, and you're like, okay, so you didn't understand. You didn't understand. You didn't understand. You didn't understand. I know you didn't understand because you don't even speak my language. And you didn't understand because you don't speak my language. So now I got to go and figure this out. And, you know, and and it's a challenge. And. You know what I'm saying? If you have to do that four, five, six classes a day, oh my gosh, right? And it, it, and that's how, you know, burnout is a, is a real thing with teachers. And you have to stop and ask yourself, like, why is burnout such a big thing in the teaching profession? You know what I'm saying? And, and when you stop and you really, if you, anybody who is a critic of teachers, I'll tell you, just go to, go, don't, right, don't go to, to those, you know, top tier schools, you know, where they actually have 25 kids. And don't go, don't do that. Go, let me choose the school you go to. And you go and you sit in, in classes for three days straight, right? Because you get a big check anyway. So go, just take three days of PTO. You go sit in a classroom and you just, you know, with a good teacher, you know what I'm saying? And see how it goes down. And then like, see what your criticisms are then, you know? And so class size is real. I know that uh, this morning they were saying that that was something that the, the the city would not put into writing. The city did kind of uh, acquiesce to the money uh, that was being asked, which is which is fine, you know. But the class size is the staffing. Now this one is a huge one for me. Uh, this is one that actually intersects with the work I do right now. Um, schools in Chicago, every school in the city should have a social worker, um, or if not, because I think they said what's the, the the ratio of social workers to students is. Uh, 3,000 was, I can't even think how many kids it is to, I, to one, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, and cause at the press conference yesterday, they were like, Oh, you know, if we, if we had a ratio of 1,000 to one social work, <laughs> to 1,000 to one social workers, that would be, that would be workable. Oh my God. Thousand to one. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, students should have access to a social worker, to a counselor, to a nurse, um, any other additional clinicians, especially in, in neighborhoods that deal with a lot, a lot of trauma and violence. Like, why would you not want a counselor and a social worker in a, in a school that may be dealing with trauma and homelessness or trauma and um, food, uh, you know, issues with, with food and, and, you know, and just all that. I just don't get it. Why would you not want that? Because the reality is the failings. Um, and I actually heard someone say something similar to this today. The failings that occur in our schools and in our school system um, manifest themselves later on um, through violence, whether it's interpersonal violence or violence that we see that that makes the newspapers. Right. That that all emanates uh, a lot. Not all. Not 100 percent, of course. But that begins to emanate itself when we fail in our schools. And part of that is is not uh being able to help kids deal with the trauma that they experience, which oftentimes can be daily here in Chicago, unfortunately. (coughs) 
I'm so sorry. And the trauma that may occur in the home, you know, and, 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 and all the other issues that occur in this city. And, you know, and we need to deal with that. So I, I, to me, of all the things that are being asked for by the teachers, this one is, is the biggest and most important one to me. Having librarians, full-time librarians, a librarian in every school, having every school have a library. There is, I, I think there's one school in the this, in this city that doesn't have a library or whatever. How many? Ridiculous. Every school should have a library. Every library should have a librarian. That That's it. And, um... Restorative justice coordinators was something that they are also were, were, were asking for. If we're gonna if we're gonna invest in restorative justice, we need to invest. We need to go all in. You, that's not something you can do halfway. That's not something you can do on this this block, but the school two blocks over don't do it. Doesn't you know what I'm saying? You got to go all in, or you just got to say, you know what, forget it. And if we agree, as as many do, that restorative justice practices are the way to go, then the, the CPS needs to invest. So beyond that, clinicians and counselors, we talked about that salary. The city already even agreed to that. Um, class prep and professional development. Um, that's one of those things that, like, if you don't teach or you've never been in a classroom, you might not even – it's hard for you to understand. But if you don't have adequate – because because reality is this. I'm always going to be doing prepping at home. And I'm always going to be doing prepping, you know what I'm saying, on my own time. And then, you know, professional development, we only get so much inside the building. So a lot of that I'm doing on my own time too, right? Reality. I, I took a lot of, uh, did a lot of professional development hours on Saturdays and Sundays when I was like either at the Chicago History Museum or some other museum or sitting at some community college taking a class with somebody, right? And that was my own time that I was never compensated for, right? But I needed to do it to keep my license and also so I can grow as a teacher, right? So, you know, it's one of those things, but teachers should get some time during the school day to 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 prep or to grade, or even just to sit back. Like I always use my prep time. If it was in the morning, I used it to, to prepare for my day. If it was in the afternoon, I put my feet up and I relaxed because I had been through a day because every day as a teacher is a day, right? There are days that you're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, the day you're, you're, you tap dancing, you're like, can't stop till you get enough, come on, <laughs> you know? But then there were days where you're like, oh my gosh, you know? And being a teacher only for two years, I, I've seen students get shot. I've seen, you know, um, you have students who don't make it, especially uh, ranging from the time where I taught in CPS to my time working at the Illinois Council Against Handgun Violence, which I worked for for a few years. Uh, students killed, uh, parents killed, um, homeless students, um, students sexually assaulted. Uh, you know, you choose it. I've I've seen it. And it's and it's horrible, you know, but it happens all the time and you got to deal with those things you know psrp issues that's the teaching assistants that's um and and equity and dealing with the inequities that exist within cps uh, um employment right which there are issues they need to be dealt with that was one of the things they brought up uh case managers for special education special education teachers prep time for both of those inclusion for special ed students and for co-teaching right all great things uh the, the inclusion and, uh, and the co-teaching are, are basically inclusion is like you know back in the day all the special ed kids would be in their own little room <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like they were secluded and you never, and they even like rode their own little bus and you never saw them. Like that, that, that is not okay. If it ever was okay, it's not okay now. It's, it's definitely not, whether it was okay, it wasn't productive, but it's definitely not okay. Right. And now, you, you know, we don't, we don't do that anymore. So now you want 
uh, special education students who are receiving special ed services to be in the classroom with their uh, with their peers, right? For a majority of the time, if not, you know, what I'm saying like they may come out sometime. Which and then like the, where I taught, when I taught, yes, that happened. Like I had you know special education students in my classrooms, and sometimes like some classes they would actually do they would do separate for, for whatever you know for varying varying reasons, and that's all kind of built into what you know what they has been determined that they need to be successful, right? But, you know, you and also the special education teacher and the and the the other teacher, me, because I'm not special education certified. They will if they you know, if I have five, six, seven special education students in my classroom and they have, a, you know, there's a special education teacher. Why don't we just teach the class together? Right. And so she's teaching and, and helping me because I'm not special education certified to make modifications that I need to make in my teaching to help make sure that all my students understand. Right. And that's one of those things that as a teacher you learn. I learned because um, it wasn't something that was I was taught effectively in college, even though I thought my education was great. But like, you know, differentiation, like, OK, so you, you got to teach it this way, but you, know, you got to modify this. You might have to modify the test. You might have to modify your lessons, you know, all those things. And you have to learn that. And, and my special education teachers in the building, my my colleagues, they were great resources to be like, OK, I'm you know, this student, I feel like they're not getting it. And what can I do to help? What can I do to make this better? What can I do to get it? And they'd say, well, here, let, you know, let's look at their, um, let's look at their IEP. Let's look at, you know, let's look at this. Let's see, you know, make sure that you're, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. Let's make sure, you know, see what else we could be doing, yada, yada. And so they were great resources. And I love, uh, even though this was not always my opinion, I love co-teaching. Um, I had a co-teacher for like a week when I thought, and she was much younger than me, but she was amazing and dynamic, uh, and, and, and just such a great resource, um, I'm one of those teachers that believes that younger teachers can be a great resource because we think differently, right? I think she was like, oh, at the time, she was like early 20s. I'm already in my 30s. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just have different perspectives. We're different places in life and we have different approaches to education, different approaches to the classroom. And that is a resource. And so I was super excited about co-teaching. We ended up not co-teaching. But, you know, those are those are great things to use in the classroom. Um Early childhood education, that's something that should be inside of CPS schools that be developed. And, you know, that is an advantage. Kids who do early education have an advantage. CPS should be in on that game. Um, and more than anything, a lot of families whose students could benefit very greatly from early education classes can't afford to go somewhere else. So if they're not getting it through the public school system, those students aren't getting it. And students who don't get that start behind. Right. That's generally what we find. So. That's something that CPS should be in. That's, I mean, yeah, you know, um, teacher evaluation. I don't even want to talk about the teacher evaluations because they were bullshit from the jump. Um, testing, paperwork, lesson plans, that stuff, you know. Um, so you can go on the CT website because I don't, I don't go through all this because it gets much murk, not murkier, but obviously the testing. Um, when I taught CPS over tested the students horribly, um, some students don't do well on test. Uh, testing is not a good way to tell growth, in my opinion, of a student. It could be one part, but if that's the end all be all, you're missing, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and when you're dealing, um, when you're teaching in challenging environments, um, I had students who at the beginning of the school year would show up to school once a week. By the end of the school year, they're showing up five days a week, turning in homework, and actually engaging in, in class. That is that is growth. 
You know what I'm saying? And and just in that growth, you're going to see things like, you know what I'm saying? They're going to be learning more. And then, you know, if they're having trouble with reading, we can address those issues when rather when they're showing up one day a week, you can't address those issues. There's so much that to measure about growth of a student, a growth of their learning and, 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 you know, and, and the current education atmosphere there's so much about these benchmarks and so the student has to reach this benchmark by this time or you're not effective as a teacher i'm like if the benchmark is 14 the student came in at a four and by the end of the year they reach a 10 you trying to tell me that's still not effective like get the fuck out of here you know what i'm saying and there's a lot of that when he when he comes into this like this testing culture and dealing with the evaluations and such so it, it becomes murky um, I'm probably not the best person to talk on on that stuff because I'm not in the classroom now and I don't know how things have changed over the last couple of years. Um, sustainable community schools, that should be just a no brainer. Um, support for expansion of affordable housing for educators, students and parents should be a no brainer. Um, and charter schools, yo, I have nothing personal against charter schools. Do I think there should be a moratorium and expansion of charter schools? Absolutely. If the city wants to invest in education, it should be in the public school system. It should be in the public schools. Now, if LeBron James wants to come to Chicago and open up a school and he wants to plunk his money in it and he wants to pay his teachers, whatever he wants to pay him, and he wants to run things his way in his school, that's fine. But he should not be getting public funds, in my personal opinion, to do so. So, you know what I'm saying? So the charter schools, if they are plunking their own money in. I don't care what you do, but if you're getting public school funds, hell no, hit, hit the bricks. And I, and that's my personal opinion. I have friends who teach in, in charter schools, who've taught in charter schools, who are principals in charter schools. I have nothing against them as people. You know what I'm saying? We kick it, we hang. I have ran programs inside of charter schools, although I've never been a charter school teacher. And, um, you know, I have respect for them. They work hard. And it's funny because you know, I remember the days of charters when none of the charter schools had unions and those teachers were just like treated like dogs. You know what I'm saying? Like teachers were like, man, I have to have a meeting today during my lunch. I'm like, what do you mean you have to have a meeting during your lunch? They're like, I have to have a meeting during my lunch because if we say no to the meeting, you know what I'm saying? You can get fired anytime. I'm like, oh, hell with all that, right? That's why we have a union. And so those people who are very big critics of unions, uh, those early charter school years especially were great examples of what uh, a union like the Child Teachers Union does for its people, because I can assure you, I don't care what you think you can do to me on the back end. Uh, my lunch is my lunch and I ain't having no damn meeting on my lunch. No, sir. No, ma'am. No, no, uh-uh, no, no. If you want to reschedule that meeting for 60 minutes, we can do it then. And then you're like, well, if you don't do it, you ain't gonna have a job, which you can go and fire me right now. <laughs> and, and you could teach my class tomorrow, but you know what I'm saying? You ain't gonna treat me like a dog. You know what I'm saying? I, I, am a man of principles. <laughs> so, so that's, it is what it is. Now, um, I, it's hard for me to understand why, why, why anyone, I'm not, I'm not going to talk bad about Mayor Lightfoot. I don't know her as a person. Um, her, uh, uh, her policies and her effectiveness remain to be seen, but you shouldn't want a nickel and dime your educational system. And we have nickel and it's not, and, and I'm not pointing a finger at her because we can talk back to daily. We can talk, you know what I'm saying? We have nickel and dime education forever. The fact that there are so few nurses in Chicago schools, there are so few counselors and so few social workers is a testament to what we've been doing forever. And that needs to change. And if you, if 
Mayor Lightfoot ran on a policy on a on a, a platform of change. Here's how you start it, right? By making change. Now that here's the flip side. So let me go ahead and drive. I don't want to keep this going too much longer. Um, because it's just me and you're probably bored off your ass. But here's here's real. Um, let me go ahead and make this statement. And I I, I remember um so my second year teaching, I was a union delegate and I I got to I attended union meetings. Um and at the time the Union president was a woman named Karen Lewis. If those of you in Chicago, I'm sure are very familiar with it, with her. Um, she would often say, she goes, you know, people say to me every day, Karen, you're asking for too much. The city is broke. And she say, look, the city ain't broke. City is broke on purpose, but they got tons of money. And that the more I research, the more I learn, the more I reach uh, to, to knowledgeable, knowledgeable people to find the reality is that the city is not broke in the, in the sense of like, they got their pockets turned out like, man, we ain't got shit. Yo, there is money for education floating. There's money floating through the city is reality. Right now. What does that look like? Um, I, I was very lucky recently to attend a class, uh, that was, that was given by the, uh, civic lab. If you're not familiar with the civic lab, I will put them in the, I'm going to make a note to put them in the, um, episode notes, but the civic lab, they're basically this nonprofit and they, they, they are, they, they do a lot of research and a lot of education on the city budget and how the city spends its money and so how the city makes its money and so on and so forth. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm no economist, I'm no expert, but I do know that when you start talking about things like TIFFs and you start talking about the income the city could be getting that they don't get, like, you know, perfect example. And I remember learning this, you know, like I remember like being like, man, there's so many movies and TV shows being made in the city now. Like, what the fuck is that? And then learning that like those companies aren't being taxed. And I'm like, what do you mean? They don't they ain't paying taxes, you know, and they're like, oh, the city doesn't charge them taxes because, you know, they claim that. Oh, yeah, but we bring in money because our people buy food and our people have to rent apartments while we're here or they have to rent hotel rooms. And huh, 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 that's great. And I'm like, well, well hmm, hmm, uh, I'm I'm not, I'm not too convinced that that money flows does any good for anybody other than those huge corporations who, who you know, taking them dollars in because they're gonna they're not breaking that down to their workers they're passing that up to their boards you know what i'm saying like disney let's say real recently disney fired a bunch of um musicians and performers because they said they were spending too much money on, on live music and performers so they either go and try to hire students and pay them less or you know get cheap labor non-union labor and try to pay them less to do the exact same job and it's just like and and sometimes not always i'm sure but with diminished quality and um the orlando sentinel did a really great article on this on this you know and like how you know they they want to save money so they can make um increases in their your their their income so they can pass it up to the board you know and bigger bigger bonuses and all that jazz and i'm like what the fuck you know what i'm saying so like i'm not convinced that these companies coming in our money's trickling down anybody you know what i'm saying i have no faith that it's trickling down so it's like i'd rather you just go ahead and tax them off the top and if they don't you know say like just gotta get my, i'd rather you get my money off the top you know what i'm saying and so just things like that you know, Amazon, 
Amazon, you know, Amazon was going to come here and they weren't going to pay no taxes. Amazon don't pay no taxes. No way. Right. They, so they going to pay taxes to us, you know, and I know one of the biggest things and I was so adamant against, I don't care what, what you say about, inc- you know, people getting jobs or whatever. When the Lucas Museum was trying to come here and they were like, oh, the city's going to help pay for the project and they're not going to tax them for the first four years. I was like, yo, get, you know, get up out of here with that. Go on, go and do that somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Go, 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 go get free money. Go, go get free money and get richer off somebody else's back. I don't, I don't even want to deal with that here. And Chicago does, we do that so often. And I'm, you know, I think the classic term for that are sweetheart deals. <laughs> See when somebody, there's some, there's some, uh, handshakes and cigar smoking going on in the back. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, okay, cool. Let's build this baby. Let's do this business. And everybody who was in the, everybody who was, who was back where the sausage is getting made is getting paid, but nobody out front is getting anything. You know what I'm saying? And that, that, the time, the, the era and times of that in Chicago should be over, should be over, need to be over. And so, like, you know, part of that is the city needs to start collecting what is due from other people and make your money. You know what I'm saying? You saying you ain't got no money, but you let money fly free. Let's not even talk about the parking. If you're not from Chicago, look up the the uh, parking deal that was done by our former mayor here that that screwed everybody but him and his friends. And, you know, it's just ridiculous. And there are taxes that we there are other taxes, uh, various other taxes that the city could be using. Right. That wouldn't that would not put under pressure on people like me who are on the lower end of the income spectrum. But on those people who are on the higher end of the income spectrum. Right. I watched a presidential debate last year. There was quite a, a, a lengthy section of that debate spent talking about wealth tax, you know. Do the rich people who live here in Chicago, and there are some of them, there are some people in Chicago who are filthy rich, are they paying the exact same taxes I'm paying? That's the question. And if you have the answer to that question, please send it to me. But you know what? I've heard and learned enough to know that they probably aren't. And let me assure you, somebody who makes over a million dollars, his 30% means way less to him than my 30% mean to me. So he should be kicking into the bucket. And if all those people who make, you know what I'm saying, 5, 10, 15 over who live inside the city limits, you know what I'm saying? Yo, kick in your 30%. And I'm willing to bet you if we put that money in education, we'll have more than enough. You know what I'm saying? So don't, man, don't fall for that okie doke bull. Okie, I'm going to say it. Okie doke bullshit about we broke. You ain't broke. You was about to build a, how much was it? $9 million police academy. You was, you find money when you want it. You built that goddamn bean out there that's worthless, but costs a whole bunch of money. So you can pay for education. Right. We, we do this all the time that you found money. You were going to find money or you found money to build Lincoln Yards. Please look that up. If you're not familiar with Lincoln Yards, you can build Lincoln Yards. You're going to put public funds to that, but you can't pay for education. How about this? I got the solution. Cut that project and put all the money that you're going to put into that into schools. And, and I bet you if I was go do some research within the next hour, I could find probably like 10 other projects that I could be like, oh, you know what? Scratch that one, too. Rich people already got places to live. So take that money and put in education. Oh, look at that. We're starting to break even. So reality, the city ain't broke because it finds money for the bullshit that it wants to find money for. Right. And I part. Please excuse my language and excuse the aggression. But truth is true. Fact is fact. Uh, or opinion, right? My opinion is my opinion and I'm about to put it out there, but you'll find money for the bullshit that you want to find money for. So find money for things that really matter like youth and schools and those people who take care of them, right? The educators who are stuck in, in classrooms with 40, 
<laughs> 40 kids, right, trying to 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 um, put them on a positive trajectory trajectory for the future. Right. If that's not worth an investment in money, then what is I don't. But, but also, I don't mm, I don't know where mayor I don't know where the mayor's child goes to school, but I do know that with our previous uh, leaders, their children did not go to public schools. So, you know, what happened in public schools really wasn't like it didn't affect them in any way. So they really didn't give a shit. But it matters to people like me, who former educators, current, especially current educators and those parents and those kids who are in those schools who deserve the best in the third largest school district in the nation. So, um, yeah, you know. Stop nickel and dime in education. I just don't get it. Um, so that's it. That's all I got, really. Um, I apologize that that went that this went lo- way longer than what I expected. I dropped some stories in there, and then I got heated, and we got we you know we got we got where we were going though. In the end, we got where we were going, and um, I'm not going to edit this at all. I'm just about to drop this in there. I'm gonna put a I'm not even gonna put a pre roll on it because I'm just gonna well, I might put a pre roll. Um, and I'm not even going to put a pre-roll on. I'm just going to put music on it. I'm going to put music on the back end. That's it. Uh, I'll, you know, let me go ahead and do the post roll right now. And I want to get this posted for tomorrow morning. And I know, you know, no one who's on the picket line is going to hear this. But if you have a friend who's a teacher or, you know, somebody who's a teacher, you're a teacher. Please let me know if I got something wrong. Um, please tell me if I misspoke. I am I, not a genius. I don't know everything. I read a lot. I research a lot. I, I, I get more push notifications from news uh, news sources on my phone than I probably should. But I, I, I like to be in the know. I want to be in the know. I'm very passionate about education and youth in the future, because the reality is that uh, education directly relates to the business that I'm in, which is violence prevention. Um, one, I'm a firm believer that one of the clearest ways to prevent violence is to educate people, like, not just youth. I didn't say just kids, adults, too. If you educate people, give them a variety of options. Right. I think that that to me is always one of the clearest ways to prevent violence. To But you got to invest. That's an investment. And that investment is more important than any other investment. Right. Here in Chicago, if you've never been to Chicago, if you are in Chicago, you know, like there are there are neighborhoods in the city that get constant investment. And, you know, to the point they don't need it no more. But they just get it because it's fun. Like, fuck it, let's build something else. Oh, let's tear this down and build something that looks just like it. Fuck it. Right. That investment needs to be happening at every corner of the city to to the neighborhoods that have potholes all up and down the streets. You know what I'm saying? Or where the schools have paint that's peeling off the walls or holes in the ceiling or rats running across the floors. All of that happens in schools in this city. And that, that those schools deserve and need that investment. So make it happen. You know what I'm saying? This, I, I, it, it makes me so angry. We, the city, ain't, I don't believe the city is broke. If this, if this, anybody who works for the city is, wants to tell me that the city is broke, invite me in, crack open them books, give me three, uh, three, three good, uh, 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 good economists to sit with me, explain what I'm looking at, explain me how this all works, and prove to me that the city is broke because I don't believe it. 
I just don't believe it. And then I'm gonna say, well, and then I'm the first question was like, what revenue, what revenue streams could we be, you know, looking at? You know, what could we be doing to get more money then? And when they start cracking them answers, I'm like, all right, cool. I got what you should be doing for the next three years, you know, mayor. I got what you should be doing for the next three years, governor. Here's here's your whole platform to help make this the city that we deserve to be living in so go and make that happen right tell your people why this is good ideas because this is what the economist told me was a good idea and i'm gonna believe them over i believe you anyway so let's go ahead and roll this out and and see what happens in four years right but you know what the reality is no one wants to do that because <laughs> nobody and i don't understand it but nobody wants to do that so you know what i'm saying just cut the bull and, and do the right thing i don't know man i'm i don't know but um, like I said, I'm not going to try not to make this a habit. I don't want you guys listening to me um, because I'm very not interesting. <laughs> but the people I, I talk with, the people I connect with are far more interesting. And so that's the that's what I much rather uh, do. But so, yes, um, however you stand on the, the teacher issue, um, let's talk about it. So please email me uh, that the email address is in the episode notes, but it is being silly in the city. All one word being silly in the city at gmail.com. Um, also, please um, check me out on social media. You can look at you can look me up on Instagram. You can look me up on uh Twitter. Both of those are at Dion's Musica, D-I-O-N-S-M-U-S-I-C-A. Uh, this podcast is not cool enough to have its own social media. So I, just, I have mine, though, which I've had for years. And so hopefully someday I'll need to get rid of it and have my just a podcast. You know, but till then, you can check us out on Facebook. Um, that's at off the beaten podcast um the name of the page is reflections of a chicago life you can go uh, as well actually go check out my blog which is called off the beaten path um yeah <sighs> i'm tired it's been a long day it's like 8 30 and i feel like it's like 11 o'clock i'm as soon as i'm done with this i'm gonna edit it real fast not edit the the, the stream but add the music and everything and i'm gonna post it and then i gotta get the episode notes together and everything and so hopefully tomorrow uh, or if you listen to this, hopefully th- today is Thursday or Friday and you're listening to it. Hopefully um, the strike has come to an end by the time you're listening to this. I, I last thing I want to see is a long strike. Uh, the last thing I want to see are people out of work. Last thing I want to see are kids out of school. Last thing I want to see is education not happening. But I firmly support the teachers in their fight for what's fair and what's right for our kids. And, you know comes a time you got to put your foot in the sand, you know, you got to put your foot and draw that line. But look, you have pushed us again to to this point. We'll be pushed no further. This is what we need. This is what we deserve. And so please, please give it to us. Right. Because that's what we need and deserve and, and going from there. So, um, yeah, man, this is weird. Just being here by myself. So this has been off the beaten podcast. I'm Dion. I hope, I hope you, you got something out of this. I don't know what, (laughs) <laughs> I hope you I hope you enjoyed yourself. You enjoy I feel like I need the cigarette. I'm like I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. <sighs> you know, so but anyway, um thank you to everyone who helps makes this happen. Um thank you to the one other individual on the Off the Beaten Podcast production staff, and that is my artistic director, Heather Calvert. She's amazing. Um we have business cards coming out. I'm so excited. I got business cards coming. So she she uh we we sat up to one o'clock in the morning. I think that might have been Monday night too. Um and we got the business cards finalized and we got those sent to the printer. And hopefully I'll have them next week. I'll post pictures on Instagram and I'm so excited. And so then you know, if you see me in the street, I'm like, here, have a off the beaten podcast 
business card. You know, <laughs> look how sexy they are. Oh, and, and so I'll tell you now because we see it. It's just like this is a great story ever. So we're designing the business cards, the logo, the colors. You know, it's, it's, it's mad Chicagoed out. I'm super excited. And then I told um, I told Heather on the back. I say, hey, look on the back. Here's what you got to put. And it says it says because who doesn't trust a guy with business cards? And <laughs> she was like, is that really what you want on the back of the cards? I'm like, hell yeah. So, so here's the story behind that because I think this is the funniest story ever. And it's just like a cute story. It tickles, still tickles me to this day. I, I don't remember how long ago this was, but I was, it was like back when I was at a rock festival. So this is like 2005, 2006, like Ozfest, something like that. And I run into this guy, white dude, you know, kind of like, you know, a normal guy you see at a festival, lanky, you know, whatever. And we, we chatted for a while and he was like, hey man, um, here's my card. And so, he gives me his card. And I remember his first name was like Anton. I don't remember his last name. And then it, it was like professional concert goer. And then it said on the back of the card, because who doesn't trust a guy with a business card? And it, and it had like his you know, contact information. I thought that was like the best thing ever. And I kept that card in my wallet for years. Like I kept this card that just, you know, was this professional concert goer and because who doesn't trust a guy with a business card. And it was just something about it that I was like, this is perfect. And this is wonderful. And I've never had business cards that weren't real business cards. And needless to say, I wasn't going to have that on like my card when I worked at the, my, you know, the nonprofit, I'm not going to have it in now, but I'm making this business card for something that's, you know, genuinely, me and mine and, and my team, you know, thing. And I was like, because, and I was like, I, now's my time. I may never make another business car. So, because who doesn't trust a guy with a business car? And it's like one of those things, because, you know, you could tell people anything, but then when you like whip out a business card, they're like, oh, he's legit. Like, I'm legit now. So this has been episode, is this episode six or episode seven? I forget. This is Off the Beaten Podcast. I'm Dion. I want to thank you for listening. Please uh, rate, review, and share. I feel I, I feel bad asking you to do that, but it's so important. And that's how people hear about this. That's how this grows. That's how Apple iTunes go. Oh, this 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 podcast is pretty cool. Let's let's put this in the you know. We also suggest for everybody, and that's how podcasts grow. And I need that growth. I want that growth. I'm feeling good about this. You know what I'm saying? So let's make it happen. Please help me out. Rate review and share it with one person um let that be your mom or your dad or your husband you two can you know share a pair of headphones together in bed listen to my sultry voice and then you can bang it out like mash parts do it so you know wh- whatever it is you <laughs> Whatever it is you like to do, listen to this right before you do it and you'll get that like positive uh, synergy and that positive, uh, you know, uh, I can't even think of the word I'm, I'm looking for. But you'll think of me when you think of like great things. You think of me, you'll listen to my podcast, you'll bang it out. You think about me, you'll, you'll mash parts. Think about me, mash parts. And then maybe you'll try to mash parts with me. But probably like if you got a husband, no, thank you. But, you know, what I'm saying otherwise, if you're single and you want to mash parts with me, that's kind of OK because I'm super single and. And, you know, I've been going on dates, but I don't know where that's going. And yeah, so that's 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 my life in a nutshell. And I hope you got something out of all of this. Good luck to the Chicago Teachers Union. Also, and, and, and just to be in fair and to be honest, um, good luck to the city as well. Um, and good luck to Mayor Lightfoot. I hope that she... Um, I hope whatever decisions she makes um, in the next couple days are the best decisions for the city and are the best decisions for our youth. And, and you know, and, and 
I do honestly, I'm like, well, is that, are those things the same thing? Are what's best for the city, what's best for the youth? I believe they are, but you know what I'm saying? I don't know, you know? So it's, it's interesting and it's crazy and we're dealing with it as we go, I suppose, but that's life. So um, thank you guys all so much. Thank you if you made it this far with me. Have a great day, have a great night, have a great weekend. Um, share, rate, review. I can't say that enough. If you think I'm an asshole, if you completely disagree with me, send me an email, let me know, or, or you can put a review like, yo, this dude's an asshole. I hate him. He's, you know, he's pro union and he's anti life. And I don't know what, whatever it is that you believe. And that's fine. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't care. And it is what it is, but let me know and let's talk about it. Cause that's what, you know, that's how we reach understanding, you know, in the re in the real, in the end we reach understanding through conversations and explorations. So, you know, let's do that. That's fine. So that's it. I'm done. This is Fenice. Uh, shoes. Uh, adios. Uh, that's all. What's going on? Welcome to. Oh, okay. Shit, it's hot. It's hot. It's hot. Oh no! It's hot. It's getting hot in here. Help me now. It's getting hot. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>